through 7. I'll give you a moment to get there. And once you are there, I will ask that if you are physically able, would you please stand for the public reading of God's Word? It is a tradition here at Bethany that we stand for the reading of God's Word just to pattern ourselves after the book of Ezra and how the people would stand as the prophet read God's Word or God's scroll at that time. And so there's nothing magical about standing for God's Word, but it is a sense of tradition. It is a sense of reverence, I do believe, for God and His Word. And so the Apostle Peter writes in chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God, blessed be the God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You may be seated. Thank you. So... I decided not to carry on in the book of Galatians, which is what Pastor Nathan has been doing uh, for a few weeks, and he'll hopefully pick back up next Sunday. Uh, Instead, I decided to do something different, and I will admit that my personal preference is not to preach in this way. My personal preference is to take a book of God's Word and to preach through that book. It's called Sequential Expository Preaching. And if you ask any of the teenagers in the youth group, they will say, Jake has strong convictions about sequential expository preaching. We are going to go through a book of the Bible. Um, but, and I, I think, I think that's, uh, that's just my personal preference, but this morning we're given a little bit of a different opportunity. And so we're going to be talking about a particular topic, and it's going to sort of, in some ways, piggyback on what my brother preached about last Sunday. And so if you were here last Sunday, we were blessed with not the best looking of the two, but uh, nonetheless, uh, a formidable guy, and, uh, and Brother Caleb Wimberly, and he preached in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 5 through 11. It's roughly what he preached. And the topic of his preaching was, how are we to live in exile? And that's obviously operating under the assumption that we are indeed in exile. And so what is the definition of exile? Exile is when... Uh, people are on the move in a place that is not their homeland. Biblically speaking, it's done so in a couple of different ways. But God, in His great sovereignty and His great wisdom, allows nations to take the Israelites and move them to their own nation, 
away from their home, away from their families, away from their temple, and causes them to live in a pagan land that serves different gods and they work for them as slaves. And that's biblical Old Testament exile. Now, in the New Testament, there is exile language all over the New Testament, particularly in the writings of Peter, in First Peter and Second Peter. And the exiles that we see in the New Testament is similar but not the same in a sense that we are Christians in exile because our homeland is not this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so we are roaming, we are exiles, we are in a foreign land. And it is in that spirit that we approach this topic this morning. And so the title of the sermon, if you need one, is Don't Waste Your Exile. Don't Waste Your Exile. Sorry, I got a little something going on with that. But we are in a tough stretch of time. This past year has been tough. Um, I tried to somehow convince myself that once we turn the calendar from 2020 to 2021, that things would all of a sudden not be the same. Uh, that uh, if we could just get past this year, get past this time, uh, we turn to 2021, it's going to be a fresh start. And all of the hurts and all of the habits maybe we developed last year and all the hang-ups would just go and fall to the wayside and life would be bliss. And we're two months into 2021 and it's just as bleak as 2020 in my own personal experience. Um, it's just as tough. We're dealing with some of the same things. Maybe even dealing with some new things. Got a new president. I paid a lot more for gas this week than I have lately. Okay? Um, And as of right now, this morning, the worldwide COVID deaths are uh, up above 2.4 million souls, individuals, have died since the onset of covid uh, nationwide in the United States, we're up at about 497,000, working on 498. And it took several months for COVID to become real to me. It took several months for COVID to become real here. I think, uh, I don't know if it's all the turnips and cornbread that we eat, but I don't know. We have some sort of special immune system, but COVID took a long time to get to southeastern Alabama and the way that it was affecting the rest of the world. And reading about Lots of people dying on the news is nothing new to me. It's nothing new to you. The news loves to report about people dying. But when I began to see friends who were posting about their parents who died of COVID, it went to a different place. It hit a little harder. And so now we are hopefully on the way out, maybe, But we're definitely through the thick of it, and we have all experienced it on a personal level, which is far different from where we were February, March, April, May of 2020. We're experiencing it on a personal level yet. And I don't know about you, but it just seems like there's a new news of someone dying every single day. Due to COVID, we have disasters happening. Those two young men who got zapped by the power lines... We have a cancer list that our church keeps that adds an individual every week. And, and when it adds an individual, it doesn't remove an individual. 
usually. Um, I've had parents of teenagers at least once a week for, for a few weeks in a row uh, call me with concerns about their wayward teenager who has been raised in church but are rebelling against the things of God. Uh, we have a lot of heaviness. We have a lot of brokenness. We have a lot of weariness. And when things like this happen, and they're compounded on top of each other like 2020 has, so it wasn't just COVID. Like when COVID began, we began to compare it to prior illnesses like uh, the bird flu and Spanish flu and the Black Plague even. But the political agendas that have been involved with COVID-19 is new to the world, I do believe, as far as my research can tell. The polarization that the virus has itself caused and the division and the racism that has accompanied it and the mob mentality that has accompanied it, this is new. This is new struggles. This is deep and this is heavy. And it kind of just takes your breath away. It's easy to get overwhelmed. My question is, is once the pain of it kind of simmers down a little bit, we begin to ask questions of why. What would Jesus have us learn from this, from this world that we're currently living in? And I think Jesus has an answer for us. So before we even get into 1 Peter 1, I want to briefly remind you of a story in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. I have it on the screen. You don't really need to turn there because it will be quick. And at this time, uh, Jesus is in the middle of some really strange sayings. At the end of chapter 12, he's talking about how he doesn't come to bring peace but division and a sword and dividing mother from father. These are some hard teachings of Jesus here. And he gets into chapter 13. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with the sacrifices. And so in order to mock their faith, Pilate is slaughtering people, the blood is being mingled with the blood of the sacrifice is really ugly scene. And he answered them, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so you got some ugliness going on in the world around these Galileans who were uh, at least seemingly Christians or or Jews or or God-believers in a way. And they come and they say, all of this hideous activity is happening around us. There's a lot of massacre. There's a lot of blood As a matter of fact, we hear of natural disasters every day and freak accidents. Jesus even references a freak accident. He says, how about that tower that fell in Siloam and killed 18 people? And the answer that Jesus gives them when they come to him with these questions is crucial. It's incredible because Jesus is one who's gentle, amen? He is gentle, he's able to weep with those who are weeping, but that's not the response that he gives you. He says, instead of looking around you and being astonished at people dying when the tower fell, you should be astonished that you weren't under the tower when it fell. 
And instead of being astonished and surprised and marveling at the fact that people are dying around you, you should be astonished and marvel at the fact that you're not dead. And instead of looking around you and marveling and being astonished at the deaths from COVID, you should look at yourself in the mirror and say, why are you not dead? He says, unless you repent, you all likewise will perish. What does that mean? It means that everyone that Jesus was speaking to and everyone that I'm laying eyes on right now and everyone in this room deserves to die. Not tomorrow, not next month, but today. It's what we're deserving of. And every breath that we get... And every morning that the Lord opens our eyes and it is an incredible measure of His grace. If we've learned anything over the past year, it's that human beings are fragile. Probably a lot more fragile than we thought they were. You may have even learned that your own body is more fragile than you thought it was. If you ended up with COVID-19 and you really struggled with it and you thought you wouldn't. And God is control of everything in this world. Psalm 115.3 says that our God is in the heavens and He does whatever He pleases. And your life is being held on by a strand of a measure of His sovereign grace. And every breath that He gives you, I don't know about you, but I don't want to waste the grace of God that I have every morning when I wake up. Because they're precious. And as we look at people dying around us, some even suddenly we realize just how precious they are. And how I want to use the time that I have, how I want to use the one more day that I've been giving to bring glory to the name of God Almighty. That's what Jesus is saying. Hey, you're all going to die. But you're not dead right now, so repent. Repent likewise, or you will perish. And that's his answer to the calamities around us. And it's in this spirit that we jump over to 1 Peter chapter 1. So with that in the back of your mind, let's look at 1 Peter. And I'll tell you a little bit about the epistle to 1 Peter as we get into it. So Peter writes two epistles in the New Testament, 1 Peter and Second Peter, and Peter is writing while he is in Rome. As a matter of fact, tradition tells us that Peter died in Rome. And if you'll research church history a little bit, you'll find in 64 A.D., Rome burned to the ground. Much of Rome burned. Um, it was burned, we've uh, figured out by now, by the emperor Nero. So Nero was the emperor of Rome in that time in the 60s, and Nero was very anti-Christianity. This was some of, if not the worst, persecution endured by Christians in the history of the world and in the history of the Roman Empire. And in 64, Nero burns down Rome because he wants to build it better, in a more selfish, Nero-honoring way, nice way, and he blames it on the Christians. And he actually convinces a large population of people that the Christians indeed burned down Rome. And so they begin to ramp up their persecution. And what they do to the Christians, there are stories 
the history provides us where they begin to really get ugly and bloody with Christians. They would slaughter them, they would kill them, they would light them on fire and use them as lampposts for the streets of Rome. <clears throat> and Peter died during this time, underneath the reign of Emperor Nero. And so Peter writes First Peter and Second Peter a few years before that. Scholars would put it somewhere between 60 and 62 A.D. And so Peter writes with this spirit, Yes, I'm experiencing a little bit of persecution, but it's not that bad yet. But I can see on the horizon where it could get very ugly very quickly. And so I want to take 2,000 years later and say, you see some similarities in our world right now? Do you see, as you're thinking this morning, yes, I'm experiencing a little persecution. The political agendas are really ramping up. It's no longer popular to be a Christian but I'm not experiencing that sort of persecution that I was talking about under Emperor Nero right now. But you know what? It wouldn't shock me if it happened in a few years. We may very well be on the verge of this. And so that's the spirit, that's the time period that Peter is writing in, and I think that makes it especially relevant and applicable to us this morning of how to live during this time. We'll read in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. We'll stop right there. And so Peter is writing to uh, those that are in the dispersion. This is modern-day Turkey. There's a few different countries here and different churches spread. The Christians scattered, as you well know. They did that for one of two reasons. Uh, one of which was because of persecution. They had to be on the move and get places. And number two, because God was spreading the gospel in wild ways and in different geographical areas. And the gospel took over that area uh, of the east at that time. And so Peter was writing to these different nations, these different churches in the dispersia, modern-day Turkey, which is very ironic because if you know anything about modern-day Turkey today, it's almost completely Muslim. And he calls them his elect exiles. Now, don't stumble over that word elect, okay? Don't stumble over it. What that means is chosen, beloved, precious, okay? You see that similar language all throughout the New Testament. If you'll read some of the writings of Paul, especially James, James always starts with beloved, beloved, beloved. Those are synonyms here. The elect exiles of the dispersion. So Peter, before he gives a prescription of what the Christians should do while they're in exile, he establishes their identity by reminding them of who they are. And so before there's a prescription of what they should do, he reminds them of who you are. You are my elect exiles. You are chosen, set apart, holy, beloved, precious. And oh, by the way, you are living in a place that is not your true home. Elect Exiles, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. That's a beautiful Trinitarian verse right there, isn't it? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And we're going to spend a few minutes kind of deconstructing verses 3 through 7 here, 
it wouldn't be a sermon from Jacob if it didn't have three points. So, beginning in verse 3 and reading down to verse 7, we get a good glimpse of Peter speaking to the exiles and telling them how to live in exile. Verses 3 through 5, we'll see the power of God in the time of exile. Pay attention to those P's there, the power of God. In verse 6, we'll see the persevering pain that exists while in exile. In verse 7, we'll see the purpose of all of this while in exile. So the power, the persevering pain, and the purpose. And so in verse 3, if you'll read along with me, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. I did not intend on this verse corresponding with our worship team singing that song this morning. That's actually really cool. Living hope is a biblical concept, and this is where it's found. Isn't that neat? According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. And so what prompted God to save you? What prompted God to move in the way that He did? What prompted God to orchestrate history in the way that He did? To preserve Israel, to extend that to the Gentiles by way of the sending of His Son, Christ Jesus, who opened up the floodgates for any man and woman who would claim faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior to be saved. What prompted God to do that? Verse 3 tells us that it was out of the abundance of His great mercy. That God is a merciful God. And that's consistent with the Old Testament and the New. Some might say that the God of the Old Testament doesn't seem as merciful as the God of the New Testament. But that's not true. He is the same God and He never changes. And it is out of the abundance of His mercy that He saves sinners. And so His mercy caused us to be born again. So who caused you to be saved? Well, I believe that He is very clearly talking about God. God has caused us to be Born again to a living hope. Born again is my favorite term for being saved. Like, I love using the word saved, but there's just something about born again. It's rich, it's biblical, and goodness gracious, I know who I was before I was saved, and let me just tell you, anything short of a rebirth wouldn't have done it. It wouldn't have done it for me. He's called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The hope that we have is a living hope. It's active, it's not dormant. It's useful at this time. As a matter of fact, it's a living hope because it is predicated upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what makes it a living hope. Because Christ is resurrected from the dead, we also have the promise of that same resurrection. As Caleb preached about last week as he ended, he spoke about how because Christ's body will bodily rise, or has bodily risen, excuse me, rather, our bodies will do the same. And so the bodies that we are burying... The 2.4 million souls who have died due to COVID, of those, not sure how many, belong to Jesus. They're Christians. Their bodies will rise. They will indeed have a resurrection similar to that of Jesus, and that gives them a living hope. A living hope based in the resurrection. And so I hear a lot of people talk about uh, how, do, how do you know you're born again? Or how do I know that I'm saved? Uh, there's a few different methods that people use with that. I think sometimes evangelists in the past have used this whole, you remember the exact time that you were saved and you write it in the front of your Bible and every time the devil messes with you, look back at that in your Bible. I'm, I'm not against that, but I don't think it's the best evidence for your salvation. Okay? If you ask me how I was born the first time, do you think I remember my first birth? 
Anybody in here remember coming out of their mama's tummy? No, I didn't think so. If you asked me if I was born, how do I know I was born the first time? You think I'd present my birth certificate to you? No. If you asked me how I was born the first time, I'd just breathe, right? There's evidences that I was born at some point in time based on the way that I'm living right now. You want to know how you're born again? You don't have to point back to a time that you were saved. There's evidences based on the way that you are living that you have been born again right now. That's how you know you're born again. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And the Bible says you were born again. Specifically, in this verse we can see that you you didn't deserve it at all. And you were saved by the cause of God. He has caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Just this week, I got to steal away for a little bit of time and ride down to Piney Grove, Alabama. Does that ring a bell with anybody? right outside Samson there, and uh, that's where my kin folks are from. And I got to go to Tillman Road, okay, that's my mother's maiden name, Tillman, and we have our own road, and uh, before you think we're famous, it's a little dirt road that you can barely get a truck down. But, and on one side of Tillman Road, I got to look at some land that I am going to inherit a little bit of, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. Not because I want to get a lot of money from it, because I want to hunt deer on that land, and I'm excited about it, amen? And so uh, I'm going to get that land, and there's a pride that wells up within me because it's not mine yet. Okay, I've been promised that land, but it's not mine. But there's nothing anyone can do short of this whole earth scorching up to keep that land from me. That's my inheritance. God has blessed you with an inheritance that is unshakable, undefiled, unfading. And His inheritance is so sure... Why is it so sure? Because it's the power of God that gives you that inheritance, and it's the power of God that's keeping it, and it's the power of God that, according to verse 5 and 6 right here, is guarding it. And you can rest in that inheritance, and while you're living through this life, while you're living in exile, knowing and getting a firm grasp of the inheritance that you have coming will help you live through this time. Big time. Big time. Romans 8 tells us that not only when we become adopted children of God are we siblings of Christ Jesus, but we are co-heirs with Christ Jesus. I love that phraseology, that terminology there. Co-heirs with Christ Jesus. Everything that the Father has is ours. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare His one and only Son Send him to die in your place. Will he not also graciously give you all things? All things from God the Father are yours in your inheritance. Does that help me get through 2020? Does that help me get through 2021? Understanding that my inheritance is safe and secure and it's just waiting on me. Does that help my anxiety? Oh, it does. Oh, it does. And let's look hard at verse 5 here. The word kept in verse 4 and the word guarded in verse 5, it's the exact same word. It's the exact same Greek word. Um, 
I know the book of Genesis was written in Hebrew, but it's equivalent to the same word in Genesis when God gave Adam one rule or a few rules for the garden, actually a few. Number one was don't eat from the tree, okay? But in addition to not eating from that tree, he told Adam to work and keep the garden. Keep. Guard. Adam failed at that job, right? There was a snake. He should have got rid of him right, right when he got in. Same terminology here. God is keeping your inheritance, and by his power, verse 5, he guards your faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last days. So we have learned so far that it is God out of his great mercy that propels him, compels him to want to save us, and God saves us. Salvation is of the Lord. That's the verse, last verse of Jonah chapter 2. And because salvation is of the Lord, it is also the power of God that guards our faith unto salvation. That is great, great news for my life. Because if God not only saves me, but God also sustains me, that's the only hope I have. If God saves me, but it's up to Jake to sustain me, I will not make it to tomorrow. Not to tomorrow. If it was up to me. How do you know you're going to wake up a Christian tomorrow morning, dear Christian? How do you know? You say, oh, I guess we'll wait and see. We'll wait and find out. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I will wake up a Christian tomorrow. You want to know how? Because it's not reliant upon me whatsoever. Because God has saved me and God will sustain me. That God is guarding my faith until I reach my inheritance. That He's preserving me, protecting me until the last day. And even though I still have this measure of free will and I use it quite often and a lot of times I use it for the wrong thing. I make mistakes and I, I bumble and I, mistakes is actually not the right word. I sin. Let's not get that word out of our churches, right? I sin, but His grace is sufficient for me and His mercies are new each and every morning. And so that's how I know I'm going to be a Christian tomorrow when I wake up. And it's in this understanding that we're revealed just how desperate we are for God to continue His mighty work in us. That it's not a one-time flip the switch, you're saved, but because of the impartation of God's Holy Spirit, that we always have the full power of God available to us. And we're desperate for it. Crucial. And so that is the power. Let's look at verse 6. This is the persevering pain. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. When I read verse 6, and he says, In this you will rejoice, my mind immediately goes to, What in the world is this? What's he talking about? In what do I rejoice? And the answer is right there in verse 6. You actually don't have to look at verse 5 or verse 7 like you often do with the Bible. It's all answered for you there in verse 6. In this you will rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. I want you to, if you've got a pen, circle that word, this. You might even make a little note. What, what is he talking about? What is this? In this I rejoice. And then I want you to point an arrow, draw an arrow to various trials. In various trials, 
you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, because you are being or have been grieved. This is good news. But this is hard news. Now, i got a question for you. Rejoicing and experiencing trials. Is that sequential or is that simultaneous? Those are big words. Does that mean one comes after the other? Or does that mean they both happen at the same time? Now, if you're a teenager or maybe even as young as me, you might not understand it too well. But if you're 65, 75, 85 years old and you've been walking with the Lord a long time, you can point to specific instances in your life where you can say, I was going through trials, but I was still able to sing His praises. I was able to be, as Paul wrote, sorrowful yet rejoicing. That for the Christian life, it is possible. As a matter of fact, I believe if you're following Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that it is guaranteed that there will be times in life where you are suffering, going through trial, yet at the same time, all the more rejoicing, full of joy, quite frankly, happy. Christians should be the happiest people on the planet, even in the midst of exile and persecution. Do we do a great job of that? Personally, me, not so much sometimes. But in this you rejoice, though now for a little while. Look at that little while right there. That can be misleading, because you know what Peter's talking about when he says a little while? Your life. A lifetime. You want to know why? Because in comparison and contrast to your time spent in eternity, this life is like a grain of salt in the ocean. So now for a little while, just a little while, Christians, just a little while in exile, just a little while in persecution, now for a little while, it may be necessary for you to be grieved by various trials. I do not always understand the mind of the Lord. His mind is higher than mine. His thoughts higher than my thoughts. His ways higher than my ways. But sometimes Almighty God deems it necessary for us to be grieved by various trials. Sometimes He does. The pain is not going anywhere. Perhaps some of you, when you were about 25, 35, I'm in between those two ages, 45, you said, you know what? Times are tough right now. We don't have any money. We're saving. You get young and married, you don't have any money, you know. My, uh, my Brittany's aunt and uncle, who were like my in-laws, man, they, they would always squeeze the last 10 cents out of the bottle of ketchup, you know what I'm saying? Like she would get in trouble if she threw the bottle of ketchup in the trash, knowing that you could beat that thing and get a little more out, you know what I'm saying? They ate sandwiches every meal for years. And you know what? They're in their 60s and they're debt-free, okay? Amen? And so, anyway, I don't know why I said that, but I'm saying... When you're 25, 35, 45, you get the impression of, hey, there's going to be a time where life's going to be bliss. There's going to be a time where there's no trials. Some of you might have these fanciful ideas of what retirement might look like, okay? And it doesn't take you long to realize that you were absolutely fooled. That there's not going to be a time where you don't experience various trials. That there are even sometimes that your trials are so burdensome and so heavy that you are grieved by these trials. The pain of this life is not whether it will or whether it won't. But it is a persevering 
pain. The pain itself is persevering, but you are also able to persevere through the pain. So what this verse means in verse 6, in this you will rejoice in a broken world and the new normal, as they continue to say, I do believe, pandemic, COVID-19, cancer, world, dementia, loss of job, loss of business, loss of income, and all of that. Your job, one of those, in that, in the context of exile, which we currently live, dear Christian, as hard as it may be, is to rejoice. It's to rejoice. And let me just tell you, rejoicing on your own is very difficult. But rejoicing in the context of the family of God makes it easy. In this you rejoice. Because it's only for a little while. Now don't be misled by these false prophets as Caleb talked about last week. A little while may not be a year or two. A little while speaking of a lifetime. But if you have good eternity minded eyes you will really see. It is a persevering pain but God will keep God will keep you he'll guard you his power will enable you to persevere through pain and look at verse 7 with me for the purpose the purpose for all of this that one little word this in verse 6 man that covers a whole lot of various trials there but what is the purpose of them you know i've heard a lot of times in my life um people ask why does god allow such and such. Why does this happen? And oftentimes I've even heard responses like this when I was growing up. You should not question God. Because it's not known, it's not for us to know the answers. And I think that answer is insufficient. I think it's insufficient on a variety of levels. Number one, um, that's a terrible thing to say to someone who needs comforting quite frankly. And number two, it's not biblical. Bear with me. The details of why you are going through what you are are not known to you. I'll give you that. You're right. The details of why your family member passed away with COVID while his family member did not are not known to you. The details of why my child was born with a disability while their child was not born with a disability, that is not known to you. But the overarching principle the big picture of why God allows suffering and how God uses various trials in our lives, the Bible actually has several places where it provides a good answer for that. And without this little bit of the answer that the Bible gives us, oh, it's really hard to maintain our hope. It's really hard to maintain our hope. And so praise be to God that He doesn't leave us completely in the dark on this. Verse 7, so that, that's what I want to hear. Whatever comes after so that, I want to hear that. I want to pay attention to that because I'm experiencing various trials. I'm getting grieved. I'm called to rejoice in them. I don't understand them. And God says, I'm going to tell you why they're happening. These are happening so that the tested genuineness of your faith 
more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's worth enduring right there. When I'm experiencing COVID and cancer and disability and not being able to pay my bills and relationship strife and loss and weariness and loss and weariness and loss and weariness over and over again, just when I think I can't become more weary, just when I think I can't hear of any more loss, I hear more of it. But knowing that the testing of my faith is more precious than gold will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I can hang tight for a little while because I know that God keeps His promises. That everything that I'm going through will somehow, some way, by God's mystery, I can hold on to it, bring glory and honor and praise to the name of Jesus Christ. And I want you to pay attention to that text because that praise and glory and honor is not just for Jesus. There will be a time when He comes back in all of His glory and you will stand face to face with Him and He'll know. He already knows, but you'll know that He knows. Does that make sense? You'll look into His eyes and you'll know that He has been with you through every little trial in your life, every big trial in your life. Everything that you face, He completely understands And he'll look at you, and based on the way that you handle your suffering in this life, he will say, thank you for bringing honor to my name by the way that you withstood those trials. By the way that you live in exile. By the way that you live through persecution. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And I have to remind myself that that's, a possibility, a probability even for me, if I will submit to the Lord day in and day out, that He'll be so pleased with me. And that will carry me through my trials. That will carry me through exile. That will carry me through persecution. Because, oh, in my heart, I want to bring praise and glory and honor to the name of Christ Jesus. Oh, I want it. As hard as it is living in this time. The grand purpose of exile, the grand purpose of persecution, the grand purpose of trials, of all of these things, is praise and glory and honor unto the name of Jesus Christ. And that praise, glory, and honor may not be revealed to you now, but it will be at His revelation when He returns. Because this passage teaches us that the refining of your faith like gold, your faith being tested and strengthened, this passage teaches us that that strengthening of your faith is more important to God than keeping you out of the hospital. The strengthening of your faith is more important to God than giving you a cushioned life. The strength of the testing of your faith is more important to God than blessing you with an abundance of wealth and possessions. 
the strengthening and the testing of your faith to make you look like His Son, Christ Jesus, to be conformed to the image of Christ Jesus, that's the important thing for God. And oh Lord, even how hard it is, I pray that He would mature me to where I see it the way that He does. The way that I I value that as much as He does. I quit worrying about the abundance of my wealth and possessions. And I quit worrying about my health quite so much. And I just... He's using these things to make me like Christ Jesus. And so let's bring it to a close. 1 Peter 1-7 through teaches us that while living in exile, there is the power of God that carries us through. There is pain, but perseverance through that pain. And there is a grand purpose in that pain. And so you take the idea of how not to waste my breath, how not to waste my exile, and you put it up against the backdrop of why do we even exist? Why were you created in the first place? The question I hear often from teenagers. Why do I exist? Why am I put where I am? Why do I live where I do? Why do I have the parents that I do? Why do I have the strengths and weaknesses that I do? And it's because God is jealous for your life and He doesn't want you to waste it. And He wants you to use every circumstance for what He's giving you to bring glory to His name. And He enables you to do so. And so the grand question of why do I exist, whether in prosperous times, whether in exile, whether in persecution or famine, whether in pandemic times, maybe you're in the new normal, why do I exist and why have I been given breath Today, as we close, we look with me at Philippians 1, 20 and 21. As it is my eager expectation and hope, this is Paul writing, that I will not be ashamed at all, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Dear Christian, you need to be reminded while in exile, while in potential persecution, while in weariness, heaviness, trial, that the reason why you exist is so Christ Jesus may be honored and magnified in and through your body, whether it be in life or in death. Whether COVID takes you next week or whether you live out your days 60 more years, that Christ be magnified, honored in your life. That's why you exist. And how do you live in exile? Knowing that, number one, that is your grand purpose for God giving you breath. When you open your eyes tomorrow, it is a grace of God, and God has given you that grace in an expectation that you will use your day to magnify the name of Christ Jesus, whether you live or whether you die tomorrow. And why does it not matter to you that much whether you live or whether you die tomorrow? Because He has an unfading, undefiled inheritance set up for you. And there's nothing that can happen to take that away from you, dear Christian. If you have placed your faith in Christ Jesus, whatever this world throws at you, that inheritance is yours. And that gives you hope, strength, joy. You can sing in the midst of sorrow because God 
has you in the palm of his hands and he has everything ready to bestow upon you for all eternity. And so for a little while, this lifetime, which is a grain of salt in the vastness of an ocean, you can endure joyfully and live as a witness to Christ's goodness in the midst of exile. Let's pray. Father God, we do love you. We thank you, Lord. God, we're going to have one more song, and I pray that you would soften our hearts to respond to your word. God, your word is so good. God, it's perfect. It's inerrant, but honestly, God, your word demands a response in some way, shape, form, or fashion from us. God, it it demands us to consider your word. Lord, it demands us to make commitments or changes based upon the knowledge of your word. And God, I've asked myself so many times as our church attendance wanes, not necessarily Bethany so much, but some of our sister churches, and as this pandemic affects so much of our church life, what is the purpose? And God, I see a great chasm in the local church between those who are scared of hell and just want to get out of hell. They're on one side, and there's a great chasm over here Or there's a different category of people. There are people who love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not just worried about getting out of hell, but God, they want to live in exile and persecution during this time as faithful believers. They want to grow in maturity. They want to know you more tomorrow than they do today. Those people, the pandemic has revealed who those people are in our church. And our church is. And so, God, as we learn about how to live in exile, Lord, I pray that you would shake us to the core. And, God, you would stir within our hearts for some of those people, some of those people who've just been cruising through, Lord, who just have their get-out-of-hell-free card, that you would offer them the opportunity to go to the other side of that chasm, to love you and sacrificially give of their talents, time, and efforts to you, love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. To live radical for the glory of your name. God, I'm not sure that that's what this pandemic is for, but I know that you can move through it in that way to accomplish that end. God, help us to have eternal eyes to lay hold of our inheritance. God, help that to encourage your saints this morning. Lord, we ask that you would move. Give us grace to respond to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.